Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Today we continue in a series studying the different names of God. And remember last week, uh, we were studying the personal name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. Yahweh or Jehovah, you can pronounce it either way, depends on how the, the vowels are put into the Hebrew. But that's the personal name of God that, that, that Moses was asked God when the burning bush was taking place in Exodus. And Moses came to this burning bush and he looks at this burning bush and all of a sudden this bush starts to speak to him and it was God. And, when, and he was speaking to Moses to say, go to Egypt and set my people free. Go to Pharaoh and ask him to set my people free. And he said, go to the Israelites and tell them that what's going to take place. And Moses asked, who do I say is going to send me? And the scripture says, out of the bush, it says, I am that I am. And the word that's connected to that I am word is Yahweh or Jehovah, the personal name of God. I am. I've always been in existence. It's affirmation of who God is that he is. It conveys God's completeness. It talks about God's complete, he doesn't lack anything. And within the Old Testament, and this is what we've been studying, as you can see in our background, Hello, My Name Is, we've been studying the personal name of God, the compound names of God, where the personal name of Yahweh or Jehovah is attached to a a specific attribute or quality of who God is. Last week, if you remember, we talked about Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. <clears throat> the name that we'll be looking at today is only mentioned two times in the Old Testament. The name is Yahweh Makadash or Jehovah Makadash. The first time we see this is in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. And the other time, the second account, the only other account that we have is in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 8. And I want to take both of these passages of scriptures and I want to talk about Jehovah Makadash in our lives and what does that mean for you and for me as followers of Christ. Look at Exodus 31, 13. And we're going to start in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Thank you. Give it up for my beautiful wife right there. Go on, buddy. She saw me struggling. She's my helpmate. She's the one that keeps me on the straight and narrow. God does, but she, God uses my wife. So. Notice in this verse, the the word Lord is used twice. And you can't tell because we have a font that's all capitalized today. But if, you would have, if it's not capitalized, you would realize that Lord, every letter, L-O-R-D, is, is capitalized. And it, it, it symbolizes that in the Hebrew, we're using the personal name of God. We're using the name Jehovah in the Hebrew. And it's used twice in this scripture. It represents God's name. And it represents I am who I am. So when we see this part of the scripture, it says that you may know that I, I am, the Lord who sanctifies you. The Lord who sanctifies you. Jehovah Makadesh. 
Throughout the Old Testament, we see God is striving to remind the Israelites that they have been set apart. That they are not like the other nations. Because, see, there was a covenant made between God and Abraham. And Abraham had this, he stepped out into faith to believe in God's righteousness. To believe that God is true. And because Abraham was willing to step out in faith... God told Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And once God says something, it's going to remain true. Because he is true to his word. He is the I am. The first sign that God gave Abraham of this covenant was circumcision. But in this verse, we can also see that God is using the Sabbath as a sign for his covenant for the Israelites. It was a sign to all the other nations that the Israelites had been set apart for God and to be holy. It wasn't that the Israelites made themselves holy. It was Jehovah Makadesh that was the one who made them holy. He is the one who sanctifies. But when they set aside the one day, they said, I'm not, we're not going to work. We're not going to do anything else. But what we're going to do is worship the Lord our God, and we're going to recognize his goodness in my life. We're going to recognize that he is the one that leads us. He is the one that guides us. And it sets him apart from any of the other nations because guess what? They took one day to honor and to glorify the Lord. It was a part of the covenant to solely worship and honor God. The other mention of Jehovah Makadesh is found in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 8. And I want to start with verse 7 of this as well. It says, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statues and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This verse is very similar to the one that we read earlier in Exodus chapter 31, 13, except instead of Sabbath, the Lord is referring to his statues, his commandments, to his laws. Again, the name found in this last verse is Jehovah who sanctifies you. Jehovah who sanctifies you. And it's a great reminder for all of us that the Old Testament is always pointing. Remember this, when you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is always pointing to something in the future. It's always pointing to Jesus. The book of Leviticus contains God's laws and rules related to the priesthood of Israel. It describes all the religious festivals and all the, and how, all the commandments that the Israelites were required to follow. How many of you recently have read through the book of Leviticus? Yeah. I do because I try to read through my Bible every year. But I'll tell you what, when I get to the book of Leviticus, I read pretty quickly because it, it's a lot of, about festivals that no longer apply to me. It's about a lot of rules and regulations that no longer apply to me because I'm under the new covenant with Christ. Amen. But it's interesting to read, but it, it, it's sometimes difficult. It's sometimes a, a, a strain to get through because, like I said, so much of that no longer necessary is perfectly applicable to us. But it doesn't mean that we don't find purpose and truth in the book of Leviticus. It's an important book, and I want you to catch this. It's an important book because it highlights this one thing. It highlights God's holiness. How important the holiness is to God and how important it is that we honor God's holiness. A key verse in Leviticus 19, verse 2, is the Lord said to Moses, 
Speak to all the congregations of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God desires for his people to be righteous. God desires for us to be holy, to do what is right. Because God is holy, we should reflect his holiness in our life. For example, if you are a good parent, your desire is for that your children would reflect your morals and your goodness, your honesty. You want your children to reflect who you are. You want them to reflect values. How many parents have enjoyed phone calls from the, from, from the school? All of a sudden you get this phone call from the preschool. Um, I just want to let you know your preschooler, your student, bit another child. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, you think about that. Or you get the call from grade school, uh, your, your, your son or daughter was caught in a fight. And uh, it's, it's kind of, it's, yeah, you need to come down. They're in the principal's office or, or junior high, they're caught in bowling or high school. They're, they're caught in cheating or skipping class or whatever else it might be. I had two of my children, I won't tell you who they were, Brett and Brittany, who I had knocked on the door from police officers coming to my door. I'm the pastor, I'm a pastor. And I'm going, really? You have to ask Brett about that story. I just threw him under the bus. Really? And you're, you're going like, because you always want them to reflect who you are as a parent. You want them to reflect your good. You see, the thing that reason why we are called to be holy is because God is holy. And God wants us to reflect his holiness in our life. We are his children. That's what he desires. That we have the reflection of his holiness in our life. By the way, my kids were great kids. There was, you can ask them the stories. The phone calls that bring us great joy is when we hear, hear a phone call from the school or whatever it might be. Hey, just wanted to let you know your child did such a wonderful thing. Today they stood up for someone in class that was being bullied and they stood beside them and you're going, yes. And you're jumping all around. Why? Because all of a sudden they're reflecting your morals. They're reflecting the good things that you've been trying to implant into their life and it brings you joy. God desires that we reflect his goodness, his righteousness, because he is holy. Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. What does it mean to be sanctified? You might have heard that word. You maybe have never understood that word. What does it mean to be sanctified? It really means to be set apart, to be holy. It's tied to that word holy, which means set apart for an intended purpose. Israel, as I shared earlier, was set apart as God's chosen people. Holiness is a separation from sin. It's a separation from sin. Let me share it this way. Maybe it kind of grabs a hold of you. Maybe it helps you to envision this. I remember years ago, Annette and I bought a new, not a new car, but a used car. It was new to us. And we bought it in Vegas. Uh, and it was in this, what was that little town called? I can't remember that name, little town. Anyhow, it was this little town outside of Vegas. We had to drive for a while into dirt roads. And we came to this person's house, and it was just a little Toyota Corolla. It wasn't anything fancy, but it was a couple years old. And we didn't know what kind of condition it would be. We thought, oh, you know, we were driving out here, and all the houses were a little bit 
um, run down and whatever else. And we get to his house and he says, oh, I got my car back in the back. Here, I'll show you. And I think, oh my gosh, there's probably weeds growing over it and everything else because it was a good price. And we get back there and he opens these barn doors and we walk, he says, it's right in here. We open, you know, I'm going, are we going to get murdered here? What's going to happen? He opens these barn doors. We walk in, and he has this covering over this car. It's a Toyota Corolla, and he has a plastic wrapped over the car. And he starts to carefully pull the wrap off the car. There's not a scratch. There was one scratch on it. It was probably all that long. True story. And he says, that was my son-in-law that did that. <laughs> I mean, this was precious to him. He had covered it. He was careful with it. It was set apart. The rest of the barn was, you know, but this thing was set apart. Have you ever walked, do you remember walking into your grandparents' home? And you walk into the living room. Some of you know where I'm going. And there's plastic covering the couch. And you have to sit down, and there's this plastic. You sit on it, and it's not comfortable. You know, you sit there too long, you're starting to sweat. But they've never taken the plastic covering, the thing that was to protect the couch, or they went out and bought it. I'm not sure which one. But they wanted to, because that couch was new, they wanted to keep it like new. So they put this plastic covering over it, and it's like, okay. And we sit down, and you're, you're squeaking and everything else. And it sounds like, you know, yeah, anyhow, we won't go any further on that. Why? Because it was new. And they, this plastic, guess what? That plastic was a separation between the couch and your dirty clothes. They didn't want your dirty clothes to get their couch dirty. That was the whole thing. That was the whole idea. Now, if you're here and you have plastic covering over your couch, be free in Jesus' name. Take it off. Pull it off. It's okay. But you know what? If someone's here that actually, ha they won't do it. Why? Because they value the couch. They don't want something to make it dirty. It's, in their, it's just in their nature. You see, it needs to be in our nature that God is holy. That he is righteous. That he is perfect. And it should drive us to be more holy. And it should drive us to be more righteous. We need to value God's holiness in that same fashion. We don't want God's holiness blemished through our sinfulness. Even though it already is. But God made a way. In the tabernacle of the Old Testament. There was a curtain or there was a veil that hung between a room that was called the Holy of Holies in the rest of the temple. The Holy of the Holies contained the, the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was. And because of the sinfulness of man, they built this thick, thick curtain that separated between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple because no one could step into the Holy of Holies because it was a place of perfection. It was where God's presence was located. The prophet Isaiah describes in Isaiah chapter 6 his vision of God's holiness. He saw God seated at his throne and the angels crying out, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah, if you remember, was a mighty prophet of God. But Isaiah's vision of God's holiness 
made him completely feel unclean before God. Isaiah responds, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. It displays the magnificence or the complete perfection of, all, of God's holiness. What, what Isaiah was experiencing was perfect. And because he was experiencing the perfect holiness of God, it made him feel unworthy. Have you ever felt unclean or unworthy before God? We should all probably be raising our hands because we're all sinful. It's okay. It was okay for Isaiah, this great prophet. In verse 6, we see Isaiah's vision continues. And an angel flew over from the altar of God where the angel took a, a set of tongs and took up one of the pieces of coal. And they brought it over to Isaiah. And listen to what, what takes place. He says, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. Isaiah is seeing a vision of Jehovah Makadish, the Lord who sanctifies. What an amazing experience. It's a vision of God's future, of the sanctification that we are allowed to have through our faith in Jesus Christ. Christ is the Lord who sanctifies us. There's holiness that is found through Jesus and we as followers of Christ are called to be set apart. The struggle is this. The culture of our world thinks that they can, and I want you to catch this. The culture of our world thinks that they can eliminate the gap between God and man by eliminating not sin, but by eliminating holiness. They think that we can remove this gap between God and man by not eliminating the thing that really is creating the gap, sin. They say, well, let's just, let's just eliminate holiness. The New Testament word for that is worldliness. Worldliness is choosing to adopt a worldview over God's righteousness. Another way to say it is this way. We as sinful creatures try to lower God's standards to meet our standards. If I can't reach God, I'm just going to lower God's standards to meet my standards. The problem with that, God's standards don't lower. They don't lower they are perfect. There's a reason why Jesus said, follow me. Because Jesus was setting a new standard of holiness that could only be found through him. Only found in Christ. The struggle is so many times in our lives, and I've talked about this many times. So many times in our life we try to keep one foot in heaven and then one foot in world. We don't want to make a full commitment and say, I'm going to step over here, and I'm going to do everything I can to be holy before God. We want to say, no, no, this is fun. I want to keep this foot over here. But God, I'm going to give you this foot over here. God wants all of you, not part of you. He wants all of you, not part of you. Let me challenge you with this thought, and I think it's a powerful thought. Maybe it will help some of us to set us free from certain things. We will never accept God's greatness and holiness until we see sin as evil and unrighteous. We will never be able to completely attain or comprehend God's holiness until we start seeing what God writes in the Bible, when the Bible, the word of God that he's given to us, when we start understanding the sin that is listed in God's word is unrighteous and it is sinful. It's not good. Then all of a sudden, God's holiness might be revealed to our lives. Paul writes in Romans 5.20, God's law was not given so that all people could see, or God's law was given 
so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, here's the wonderful thing, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. God's grace, God's righteousness is always greater than sin. This became an epiphany for me when I was studying God's word. I started thinking about it. It's not that as I sin, I can always think about, oh, God's grace is always more abundant than that in that sense. No, no. What it's talking about, that God's grace is always more powerful than sin. It's always more powerful. It doesn't matter what you maybe have done in your past. God's grace is more powerful than sin. I had the idea of dark and lightness. Because in the Bible, darkness always represents evil or sin. Lightness always represents the righteousness and the holiness of God. And guess what? Light always penetrates the darkness. It always wins over the darkness. The only, thing, the only reason there is darkness is because there's an absence of light. God's light in our life. God's grace, God's righteousness is greater than sin. A sanctified life is a growing love for the holiness and righteousness of God. When you truly have surrendered your life to Christ, guess what? You are going to desire more of his righteousness, more of his love, more of his holiness. The real question we must ask ourselves, do we love sin or do we love God? It's interesting to watch how we will sacrifice for the things that we love. And it's important that we sacrifice or we we crucify As Paul would say, we crucify those things of the flesh, those things that bring maybe sinful pleasures, but we know they're unholy before a righteous God. We crucify those things. We sacrifice those things. And that's part of sanctification. It's learning to turn away from sin and turning towards holiness. Sanctification is learning to trust in God more than we trust in our sin. It's recognizing God's power over sin. It's saying, God, you have power by the power of your Holy Spirit to take me out of my current condition, my current situation, and bring me into your righteousness. Paul writes these words, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about God's love for us. To allow a sacrifice that involved the death of his one and only son on the cross. God's God's hate for sin is so great that he was not only willing to give, but to allow the punishment of sin to be placed on his own son. That's how much God hated sin and how much he loves you. It's a mind-blowing story. If you try to ponder that thought, it's hard to really imagine. But see, When you understand why God did it, because God is holy, he is perfect, he had to. Sin could not be allowed to go unpunished. If our sin would have gone unpunished or unjudged, then we would be forever separated from God because God is holy. Did you catch that? I know it's it's deep theological stuff that we're walking through today. But if sin would not have been judged, if sin would have not, why did did God have to do all this? Because God is perfect, he is holy. And the only way that we can have a relationship with a perfect and holy God is for sin to be punished, for our sins to be judged. And And we could not do that, so he sent his perfect son to die on a cross, and the punishment of our sins, guess what, went on to Christ. That's the love of the Father for you and for me. It's powerful.
Romans 8 states these words, verses 1 through 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are walking with Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer condemned. So stop walking around condemned. Because Jesus has set you free from sin. Now, it doesn't mean you're perfect. Not necessarily. <laughs> we still struggle. But it means that our love for God is greater than our love for sin. And we're saying no to sin, and we're walking with Christ. And this scripture says there is, no, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Meaning that when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the power of the Spirit of the Almighty God is working in you. And he is setting you free from sin so that you can walk into holiness. Believe it. Trust it. Grab a hold of it. So I want to close today by talking about our responsibility as a believer in Christ. We've accepted God's forgiveness by faith in Jesus. We've been set free from the judgment of sin. Our names are forever written in the Lamb's book of life. Meaning, meaning through our faith in Jesus, we are declared righteous by Jesus. And it's literally recorded in a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. My name is written down in that book because of my faith in Jesus Christ. But what is our responsibility now as a, believer, as a believer or as a follower of Jesus? Do we have any responsibility in the sanctification process? Yes. We must remain in Christ. We can't say we put our faith in Jesus and then walk away from his teachings. We can't say that we put our faith in Jesus and then disobey every commandment that he's given us. The power of the Lord's sanctification should be changing us. Paul writes, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our new identity is no longer found in our self-worth. Our new identity now is found in Christ and who Jesus is. We can't sanctify ourselves. Only Jesus can. So that's why we follow Jesus. We put greater confidence in the Holy Spirit working in us instead of putting confidence in the sin. It's choosing to die to sin and becoming alive to Jesus. It's not that we're ever perfect. We don't receive that perfect status here on earth. But we're striving to be more and more like Christ. We're viewing, like I said earlier, God is good and sin is bad. Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As believers in Jesus, we have a new identity through Jesus. Now it's our responsibility to honor the sacrifice that Jesus gave us by sacrificing our sin before Christ and grabbing a hold of God's righteousness through Christ. It's surrendering to God's will. It's a battle of resisting temptation and embracing God's holiness. The more we embrace God's holiness, and I will, I will say this over and over again, the more we embrace the holiness and the righteousness of God, the less temptation will have upon us, the less hold that sin will have upon us because we're walking with Christ. Paul writes these words in Philippians 3.12, so powerful. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. This is the great apostle Paul writing these words. Not, not, and this is while he's in jail, he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ, Jesus, has made me his own. The idea is that Jesus obtained righteousness for me 
because I couldn't do it through myself. I couldn't do it through my own strength. I didn't have the ability to do it. So guess what? Jesus obtained it for me. But now that his power is within me, Paul is writing in his words, these words, I press on to make it my own. What is he pressing on to make his own? The perfection of Christ. Because Christ sacrificed his life for me. He died on the cross for my sins. He, he was punished for me because he made me his own. That's what the scripture, he made me his own. He grabbed a hold of me. He took me out of the miry clay. He grabbed a hold of me and said, you are worthwhile. You are worthy. You are set free. He pulled me out of all that because he has made me my own. Guess what? I'm going to make him mine. I'm going to follow after Christ. I'm going to do everything I can to press forward, to make, guess what? His righteousness, my righteousness. It's a beautiful picture. We can't do it through our own strength, but we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. The great assurance that we have as followers of Jesus is that one day we will be made perfect. As stated in Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at that day, or at, that, at the day of Jesus Christ. Revelations 21 speaks of that day where there'll be no more sin, where there will only be holiness that will rule our lives. A day where there'll be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. Think about that. No more tears, no more death. You don't have to mourn one more time. There'll be no, more, no, no one dying in heaven. No more sorrow because everything will be made new. Jehovah Mekadesh, the, the Lord who sanctifies. How, so how do we respond to the Lord who sanctifies? Let me share this, these couple thoughts with you, because I always want to make something applicable to you. Okay, Pastor Tom, I've learned about Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. I can't do it in my strength. I can only do it in his strength. How, how do I apply this to my life? The first step is responding by surrendering your life to Jesus. We respond by saying no to sin and saying yes to Christ. We respond by asking for God's forgiveness and for the power of his spirit to be working in and through our lives. Amazing thought for you that I want to leave with you today is this. God is holy. Just kind of had an illustration. Let me think about it for a minute here. Take your favorite sport. When I was growing up, it was, it was well, I was way back, Dr. J, but let's say um, whoever, uh, Michael Jordan. If Michael Jordan would have invited me out into the basketball court, hey, you want to come play some basketball with me? Woo, come on, somebody. How, if, if Tiger Woods, if you're a golfer out here, if Tiger Woods would say, hey, you want to go play 18 holes of golf with me? Come on, you'd go like crazy. God is inviting you into his holiness. Hey, you want to come along and be holy and righteous with me? Come on for the journey. Follow me. Follow me. Because I want to invite you to be holy as I am holy. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Whew. Your word is powerful. It is effective. It is life-changing. I pray for us as a church, for every person here, for me as a pastor, for every deacon that's represented here today, for each and every one of our volunteers, those who work with children, 
those who volunteer in media, those who volunteer wherever it might be, worship team, youth. I pray that this gets caught into our spirit, that you're inviting us into your holiness. We can't do it in our own strength, so you are Jehovah Makadish, the one who sanctifies, the Lord who sanctifies. We thank you, God, that you have sanctified each and every one of us, that we've accepted your invitation. And God, we accept your invitation to strive to be holy as you are holy today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness, for your salvation. We worship you and you alone today. And we love you. We love you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.